If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Focused on the facts. David Kurt on today's News Talk, TNT. Hello and welcome to the David Curtin Show here on today's News Talk TNT. Good to be with you again and thank you so much for joining me. Now, if you've been looking at the news or the fake news as I call it, the main story last weekend or over the weekend was the death of the little-known Russian politician Alexei Navalny. Now, the breast-beating and the noise that accompanied that by the mainstream media and by big politicians in the West is something that would normally be reserved for someone of far, far greater importance. It's almost as like the king has died, the amount of noise that has been made over his death. Probably, I would say, the noise about this is not out of any genuine concern for Navalny himself or his family, but this has been weaponized in order to bash Putin. And it seems that the media, the mainstream media, and the politicians in the West, the powers that be, have got what I would call Putin derangement syndrome, which follows on after Brexit derangement syndrome and Trump derangement syndrome. Something is happening in the world that they don't like, they can't control, they've lost control of the narrative, they've lost control of what they want to happen. And what they want to do by this, by bashing Putin in the mainstream media, is to prolong this terrible war in Ukraine. Listen to some of the things that some people have said after Navalny's death. This is uh, Biden, and he put out a statement saying, this is Putin and his thugs. Make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. Putin is responsible. What happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. Nobody should be fooled. Then the unelected Foreign Secretary of the United Kingdom, David Cameron, now Lord David Cameron, because he was put into the House of Lords uh, a couple of months ago, just so he could take up this position, said this, um, Putin must be held accountable for the death of Navalny. And he also promised there should be consequences for Putin. Since then, after a couple of days, he's now making noises about imposing extra sanctions on Russia, which are not going to hurt Russia at all, as the previous ones haven't done, but they will hurt the West and the Western economy. And as we see, nations outside the G7 or outside the orbit of the United States moving away and doing business between themselves and actually leaving the West out. These uh, sanctions which have been imposed on Russia are having the opposite effect of what's intended. The war in Ukraine should never have begun in 2022. Well, I say that, but actually, as we know uh, from the very, very good interview a couple of weeks ago between Tucker Carlson and President Putin, which the powers in, that be in the West didn't want to happen, is that this war didn't actually start in 2022. It started in 2014, which is what I and another uh, a number of other commentators have been saying all along. It started with the coup in 2014, with the colour revolution instigated by the CIA and the Under Secretary of State Victoria Newland, who played a big part in it, getting rid of the democratically elected president of the Ukraine. Whatever you think about Yanukovych, 
he was replaced with a puppet of the United States deep state, Poroshenko, and then Zelensky after him. Zelensky came to power in 2019, running on a platform of peace with Russia. That's why people voted for him in Ukraine. But the massive, the biggest bait and switch that maybe has ever been done is that Zelensky changed and his puppet masters then uh, commanded him to go to war and to keep this war going, not to make peace, not to talk with Putin. There was a peace agreement in April 2022. Boris Johnson went to him. We don't know exactly what he said, but the next thing you know is that the peace was not on the table and the war continued. Russia is doing very well in this ground campaign. It's just taken the key city of Avdivka, that is a very important city because that is the city which the Ukrainian forces, along with real neo-Nazi brigades like the Azov Battalion, used to shell Donetsk, the largest city in the Donbass region, full of ethnic Russians for eight years between 2014 and 2022. Now Avdiivka has been taken, that will no longer be able to be used as a base for the Ukrainian forces to shell and kill ethnic Russians in Donetsk, which they did to 14,000 people at least in those years. No wonder people in the West have got Putin derangement syndrome, and they are using this to try to weaponize it and keep the war going. But there's something else that needs to be said about this as well. The people who are using this and speaking about Navalny and not stopping speaking about him are the most abject hypocrites. Last month, my friend Gonzalo Lira died in a Ukrainian prison in similar circumstances. He was denied medical treatment for pneumonia. He was tortured, beaten severely by his cellmates that were put there and the prison guards, and I'm sure the powers that be knew this was gonna happen. All he did was use his free speech. He didn't do anything wrong. He just spoke out and he said things that perhaps the Ukrainian regime, the Zelensky regime didn't like. The Western powers that be, Biden, Sunak, Johnson, all these people, say they're fighting for freedom and democracy. But here is just a man, an American citizen, no less, who was arrested, put in prison for speaking out and using his freedom, and they didn't say a word. Hardly any media outlets even mentioned it, and the only times they did was to make fun of him and mock him. And I despise those people for mocking my friend. And this week we have the trial of Julian Assange, the final hearing before he may be extradited to the USA. He is another person who is in prison for nothing. He's done nothing wrong, just use his free speech in order to call out severe and awful wrongdoings by the powers that be in the West. Surely if we are a civilized nation, if we are a good civilization, we will not be locking up these people, Gonzalo Lira and Julian Assange. And at the very least, the people who are breastfeeding about Navalny could do the same for my friend Gonzalo Lira and this week for Julian Assange. This is today's News Talk. 
Clashing on the controversies. It's a woke society and I am fed up with it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. I'm David Curtin. This is the David Curtin Show. And I have with me today Gemma Cooper, who is our resident journalist. Welcome to the show, Gemma. Hi, morning, David. Well, afternoon now here in the UK. Very powerful editorial there. And I swear you you and I are definitely in sync because uh, we don't talk about what stories I'm going to bring to each UK TNT show that I'm on. Um, but quite often the host is thinking along the same lines as me. They'll talk about something and I'll think, oh, I was just going to mention that. Mm. Funny you should say that. Um, because in the last couple of hours, uh, Alexei, Nav- Alexei Navalny's wife, Yulia, well, widow now, uh, has spoken out publicly. She's put a nine-minute video on uh, social media, and it's very, very emotive language. She's come out fighting. Uh, she's she's saying about how she's got a broken heart, and she directly accuses Putin of everything. Like you say, the demonization of Putin there coming out of Navalny's widow's mouth. So she's vowing to continue uh, Navalny's political work, the work of her late husband. Um, and she says she will uh, take up the cause on his behalf and bring democratic change to Russia. Uh, she says that uh, she says Putin is responsible for this crime. She says, and she knows exactly why. And she says, we will bring you all the facts as soon as we can. Uh, she also says, Putin has killed half of me, killed half of my heart and half of my soul. So she's very emotive with this language here. But then she comes out fighting. She says, but I still have the other half left. And it tells me I have no right to give up. Now, she's previously, like a lot of wives of of high-profile politicians, either leaders or opposition leaders, she's kept a very low profile, uh, but her husband's death has uh, propelled her into the spotlight, and she looks like she's going to be the natural successor to the opposition's uh, party or leadership in Russia. Uh, And she says here today, I will continue Alexei's work. I want to live in a free Russia. I want to build a free Russia. I call on you all to stand with me, to share not only the grief and endless pain, I ask you all to share the rage, the fury and the hatred for those who dare to kill our future. So again, it's exactly what you're saying. It says, you know, who would argue with a, with a grieving widow? She's come out very emotional. She's posted this nine minute film on, on Twitter, or X, however you want to describe it. Um, and it's quite soon after the death. I mean, obviously, grief is a very powerful emotion and people behave uh, in in strange ways when they're grieving, um, but she's very composed, uh, very articulate, uh, and very uh, very obviously angry uh, and very all guns blazing. But it it links in perfectly with what you say. You know, Putin's the bad guy. Russia is bad. When you know the, the crimes that the West is accused of, with especially Julian Assange, which we'll be go going into at detail over the next few days as the hearing takes place. It's rank hypocrisy. Uh, of the West to accuse Russia of treating political prisoners badly when uh, we're doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you you expect, I mean, you, you don't hold it against, you know, the widow of someone's died to be emotional. Of course, they're going to be. And, and of course, you, you can empathize with her for saying that. And then anger is part of the grieving process. So it's not unusual. And you would expect, you know, her to try to find someone to blame. And, you know, she would pick up Putin and blame him. You know, that's not unusual. And, you know, that that does that's absolutely, you, you know, expected. But for this then to be picked up and then reported on in the main mainstream media and I think she actually I don't know if it was this week I saw a picture of her meeting Hillary Clinton I don't know if it was this week or whether it was a at some time beforehand but obviously there are the the big power brokers in what I would call the western establishment are in contact with her so they may be giving her instructions and sort of telling her what to do and uh, you know the thing about this which is you know a little bit disturbing is that sometimes 
people in these situations, they get PR agents and the PR agents tell them what to do, how to dress, what to say, where to go, what videos to make, where to put it, make a video, put it on X. I assume it's been translated into English. And then this really just looks like, well, this is being used as propaganda, again, weaponized in order to pursue and uh, develop a narrative rather than have any genuine concern about the man who died. And the, again, as I say, um, and as other people have commented, there's such an attention onto this one person in Russia. But uh, I think it was Matt Letizia made a, a, who was on the show last week, made a very, very poignant comment, comment that the, the people in the mainstream media in the West seem to be more concerned with one person in Russia than hundreds of thousands of people who have been injured and, and all the excess deaths that are happening in our countries after these injections. And they're not mentioning them. They don't care about people in this country whatsoever. You know, why is their attention and their energy not directed to work out what is going on with a thousand excess deaths every week in the UK and you know heaven knows how many more in the USA which is a bigger country um it's a very odd um way to focus your attention well it's a, it's a good distraction technique isn't it like the Middle East suddenly became this huge polarizing debate and took all the focus off those very issues and just to go back to what you said about propaganda it does feel and look like propaganda because it's a very slickly produced video that she's put or whoever is with her her team I don't know has put on X and and it's it's, it's produced well and, and she's composed and she says these things I mean I, I don't know what experience you have of death but I remember I've had close deaths in my family my parents and I could barely dress myself for months mm. you know let alone put a video together and put it on social media and you know and also you're quite right it's talk about the political process that she wants to continue there's not much in there about a tribute to the man or how much you know I loved him or you know the personal stuff that you normally feel after after a death you know the uh, guilt and grieving and all that kind of thing granted this is a political it's on the political stage it's on the global arena but it does have the whiff of propaganda about it you are absolutely right in the way it has been presented absolutely i think what we need to do about this whole situation in russia and ukraine is put forward an alternative and i've said a number of times on x twitter russia is not our enemy we shouldn't be trying to get to war with russia or to prolong this war with ukraine i mean the tragedy of the situation is okay one person has died here but tens of thousands of russian soldiers have died uh, in the offensive hundreds of thousands of ukrainian soldiers have died being sent to the meat grinder and the front lines which are very much like the trenches um, in the First World War, I imagine. Um, and it's not just the regular soldiers anymore. They're picking up men from towns and villages around the country, press ganging them. They're getting grandfathers to go to the war. They're even now getting women to go to the front lines. And, and you know, they've just lost a whole generation. And, you know, if we care about Ukraine, we need to stop this war and we need to put the alternative, which is that we should not be prolonging this, we should be talking peace, and uh, we should not be trying to demonise Putin. Yes, he's not perfect, but what's the alternative? How many more people do we want to die for our narratives and for the uh, wishes of the global elite? Well, very well put. Very. I can't add to that, David. Very well put indeed. Very, very well put.
Thanks, Gemma. Fantastic. Well, it's really great to talk to you again. Thank you for coming to the show and uh, bringing that piece of news to us. Um, this is today's News Talk TNT. TNT's Kate Shimarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally, 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs. What do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, chlorinated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shimarani on today's News Talk TNT. TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they do. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time, and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. We're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. The human mind is like a computer. No matter how efficient it may be, its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. Welcome back to the David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin, your host on today's News Talk TNT. I'm delighted to have with me today on the show, Miri Finch, who is a wonderful writer uh, of many fantastic pieces about current affairs and what's going on today. Miri, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for inviting me. Great to have you on the show. I first um, got to know of you through other people who are telling me about the the wonderful things you're writing. You have a really interesting blog um, and you write very, very in-depth articles, which make me think about things that are going on as well. Um, One of the things that you've just written is about um, Putin, which is very interesting, um, as well as other articles you've written about Andrew Tate and Andrew Bridgen and Lawrence Fox and many other people but what what's really interesting is you look at things um psyops psychological operations and um what 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 do you think are some of the psyops that we've been subjected to over the last four years and how have they affected us um well that's a a great question um it could be quite a long answer Uh, i think um um which is very topical at the moment that they're normalising the idea that really there's no such thing as health, that um, you are always ill with something, it just may not have uh, presented symptoms yet. So before uh, the COVID chapter, you know, the the idea of being um, asymptomatically ill was just not something that was in the, the national lexicon. But now that's become very common. And once they've uh, re-engineered us to accept that we can feel completely healthy but still have the deadly plague, 
then they can transfer that onto other things. And I think what they're now trying to do is normalise the idea that you could have an aggressive terminal cancer but feel completely healthy. And obviously they've presented to, that to us uh, via King Charles and some other high-profile people who are now saying, you know, I, I felt absolutely fine. There was nothing. I didn't think there was anything wrong with me, but I went to the doctors and it turns out I'm dying. So I think that's the idea. You know, uh, there's no such thing as health anymore. You're just symptomatic or asymptomatic, but you're never really healthy. Yeah, that, that's a real departure from normal science, isn't it? Because normally you go to the doctor, you present with symptoms, and then the doctor says, oh, you've got something. But if you haven't got any symptoms, then, you know, well, you may be carrying something, but it doesn't affect you. And then the, we were told everyone had these awful PCR tests, and I hated them. Well, actually, I never had one, to be honest. I was told, you know, you, you need to have this to travel, you need to have this to go here and there, but I just didn't do it. So, um yeah, that that's a very interesting thing. I mean, you, you mentioned the the King Charles um, uh, issue. Now we, we've been told that he has cancer, but then we're not told what kind of cancer he has. You wrote a very interesting article about that, and I I reposted it. I got some flack actually just for reposting your article. People said, "Ah, oh, this is a conspiracy theory," which is what people always say when you're just maybe theorizing or or actually hitting the target. Can, can you tell us a bit more what you think about that? Yeah, so um I don't think that King Charles has cancer because I think uh, everything we know about royal protocol would dictate that if he did, uh, we wouldn't be told. Um, I believe it was the Queen Elizabeth's father who uh, had lung cancer and uh, not only were the press not told, he wasn't even told himself because it was thought that it would undermine his ability to reign. Um, and there are many examples throughout royal history when uh, there's any kind of major health problem that could undermine public confidence in the institution. Uh, the press are never told. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's all hushed up. So I think if he did have cancer, there is absolutely no way we would know. So then that begs the question, so why are we being told that he has cancer? And I think that to normalise the idea of cancer becoming very, very common, uh, because uh, since the COVID vaccine rollout, uh, cancer has become much more common. Um, these so-called turbo cancers are more common. So I think this is about re-engineering the public to not really ask many questions if they suddenly get cancer out of nowhere, if their loved ones get cancer out of nowhere, they just go, well, that's just how it is now. You know, look at the king, he's so rich, he's so healthy, but it hasn't been, so it could happen to any one of us. It's almost like watching a soap opera, isn't it? You've got these characters and then things happen to the characters. And this diverts people away from actually looking at scientific papers and looking at analysis and data and finding out what's actually going on. And, you know, to me, it's clear that since these injections were rolled out, which are not safe because they don't have any long term safety data, we have got all these kinds of really bad adverse health side effects coming on first of all myocarditis and then strokes and balls bell's palsy and now cancers are coming along and some people are actually talking about one of the long-term things that well, no one's really started talking about would be prion diseases the kreutzfeldt jakobs diseases and so on um so do you see this happening as well yeah absolutely and it's very good point you made about soap operas so the whole point of soap operas is uh, socially engineering so when they want to normalise something or encourage something, social engineers present it to us in a soap opera. And there's actually very little distinction between uh, the overt soap operas like Coronation Street and the slightly more tacit soap operas like The Royal Family. Uh, now we've got even more of a crossover because we've got The Crown on Netflix. So The Royal Family is literally a soap opera and then more covertly a soap opera as well. So I think that King Charles has been given the storyline to play out of allegedly having cancer to normalise it um, to the masses. 
And as you mentioned, they haven't told us what the cancer it is. And this is completely classic soap opera scripting to keep uh, the suspense mm. on the edge of our seats because the, the palace's uh, justification, they said, well, we've told, um, the, you know, we've told the press he's got cancer, we've broken with royal protocol because we don't want people to speculate. But then they don't tell us what cancer he's got, therefore ensuring mass speculation. Uh, so mm. I think that you've hit the nail on the head. This is a soap opera, and they're using the same psychology they use in soap operas with uh, the soap opera of the royal family. Yeah. I, another point you made in that article, which I thought was really interesting, going back a few decades, was you related this to to Friends and how that was a, a show that everyone watched. No one thought. Everyone just thought, oh, this is nice. You know, I enjoyed it. But that actually got in a lot of messaging and actually changed people's behaviours and changed people's paradigms about life. What, what do you, how do you see, you know, that soap opera Friends? Uh, the way most of us will know. How did that change society and, and the way we think? Well, so it's uh, really interesting you bring that up because uh, I think there was a big shift in social engineering from the 80s to the 90s. So uh, as you say, you know, in the 90s, French was a big show that everybody watched. But in the 80s, it was Family Ties. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've ever watched this. It's an American show, but uh, I studied in the States. I had an American Netflix, so I did watch the whole thing. And I thought it was a very interesting shift in social engineering because Family Ties, obviously, as, as the name suggests, was about a family. And then the uh, show in the 90s is Friends. It was about friends, and it was about making that shift, I think, from, uh, instead of people um, having a family and community and being in that tradition, more traditional environment, they were swapping over to this urban school where, you know, you're a long way away from your family. You know, you've only got your friends for company. And I think it told us all in, in the name. We went from family ties to friends. Yeah. And it, that, that I mean, that that was when I was young, the 90s. And it was like, you know, people watched that and you thought, oh, well, this is so glamorous, you know, or I'm, I'm just here living in squalor almost, you know, life is not good, but I'm enjoying this because I'm with my friends and I'm with this person and that person. And you're dating like you're you're part of something which is akin to the New York dating scene rather than finding, you know, a regular your husband or wife and getting married yourself and having children, which really changed society. Um, look, we're going to take a little break now. Uh, Miri, thanks for, for being here. Stay with us and we'll come back after the break in a minute and talk some more. This is today's News Talk TNT. Big News, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. Following months of fierce fighting on the front line in Ukraine, Russia has seized control of a key city in the Donetsk People's Republic. In a desperate effort to stay relevant, failed US presidential candidate Hillary Clinton appears to be trying to reignite her fight with Donald Trump. And the US ambassador to the UN says Washington will veto a Security Council resolution demanding an immediate ceasefire in Gaza because it doesn't suit the White House's agenda. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin, and this is today's News Talk TNT. And I have with me uh, Miri Finch, who is a writer and a philosopher of some sort, I would definitely say. <laughs> You're shaking your head there. I, I think that what you write is very, very interesting. And w one phrase that I would attribute to you, because this is where I first heard it, is uh, approved opposition. Now, we often talk about 
controlled opposition. But I think that is a really good phrase um, because obviously we live in a world where we see the powers that be are so awful, you know, so degenerate, like you know, people in the World Economic Forum and so on that say, oh, well, you, you're going to have to eat insects in the future. And But we have opposition to that. Um, but you would maybe draw a distinction between genuine opposition and approved opposition. Well, what do you see as approved opposition? And, and can you give any examples of that? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, I should say, um, unfortunately, I didn't coin that phrase myself. That was thinking oh. um, slow. That, that was his. Um, but I thought it was excellent. Uh, as, as you said, it really does... Um, things more accurately than controlled opposition because a lot of the time people will predictably uh, say, well, well, who's controlling them? And it's not always clear that, you know, a, a person or an entity is. So approved is much more accurate. So what it means when someone is actually uh, helping the establishment or helping the agenda, uh, the establishment will approve them and allow them to rise and get a lot of publicity and get a lot of visibility. So, of course, the establishment knows there's always going to be a distinct path. There's always going to be people who oppose the mainstream view. And, and, you know, as they told us since time immemorial, the best way for them to control that opposition is to lead it themselves. So uh, they, um, I think they do have uh, overtly controlled opposition. You know, people they're on the phone to saying, do this, do that. But then there are people who are perhaps unwittingly pushing certain agendas and certain perspectives, and they will be allowed to rise quite highly. So that means our focus is kept um, in the open window and only on the things that the establishment are happy for us to get behind, happy for us to financially support, happy for us to know about. Um, and I think one way of identifying approved opposition is one, they have extremely um, high social media following. Um, they often get very quickly. You know, they don't get shadow banned. They don't get censored. And the other one is that they get mainstream media um, publicity. And when I explain this to people, they say, oh, well, so-and-so, let's say Russell Brand isn't getting publicity, you know, they're being really mean about him. And I say, well, uh, publicity uh, is not about being nice about someone. The definition of publicity is simply paying somebody attention. So what the uh, mainstream media does to the approved distance is it pays them a lot of attention. Yes, negative attention, but still, of course, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah, that's a very interesting point because, yeah, Russell Brand, obviously, he he's you know, it appears to have been gone through the ringer. You know, he appears to have been attacked and 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 slammed down and uh, he's uh, demonetized on, on YouTube and so on. But someone did an analysis of him and, uh, you know, I don't know whether this is absolutely accurate, but they say, well, he's got more followers now than he had before he was attacked. And, you know, potentially he's making more money because he's opened a new channel and he's monetized that. So you now pay a certain fee to get access access to his private content. So so that's a very interesting um, fact about that. I mean, what do you think about that? And are there any other people that you think, you know, who get negative attention, um, but may well be approved uh, opposition? Yeah, so um, what I think about that is, uh, you know, it's very clever psychology. So the mainstream media um, you know, was very nasty about Russell Brand. And then it said he's been demonetized from YouTube. But uh, an interesting distinction here is he hasn't actually had his channel deleted. Whereas mm. people with much smaller following from Russell Brand who didn't actually monetize their video will have their channel deleted. Mm. Um, so when he had, had his YouTube demonetized, uh, yes, but he still has that platform available to him to direct his six million followers to the new platform, which is um, actually more lucratively monetized than his YouTube channel was. Because I believe his YouTube channel was just, um, just 
have advertisements because new channel you can actually pay as a subscriber. So what the mainstream media did was tell everyone, you can't support them at YouTube anymore. You can go here and support them instead. And so the effect on people would say, oh, you know, they're being so mean about Russell. You know, I want to give him my money. I want to show my support. Mm. So, um, and this is the inevitable conclusion. It did make him richer than ever. The, it, look, this does happen because people will think, oh, if someone's being victimized, then they need to support them and they'll go and give him money, even though he's actually still you know, a millionaire or a multi-billionaire, I would imagine. You know, I, I don't know exactly how much money he's got, but, you know, he's still living in a big house and he still seems to be doing quite well for himself. Um, you know, one of the, the disappointing things to me is, you know, you look at the freedom movement and uh, so many people in the freedom movement, they look good and then they start doing something really odd and, and really bad that discredits everybody. I mean, there was there was one occasion where someone I know um, seemed to be very intelligent, very, um, you know, a, a good leader, and then started throwing red tape bombs at, at Downing Street. And obviously, if you do that in front of all the cameras, everyone's just going to look at you and you, you're going to look like you're a bunch of degenerates who are causing criminal damage and vandalism. And, uh, you know, have, have you noticed people doing these kind of things where they they sound good and then suddenly they just do something which discredits, you know, themselves, but everybody else as well? Absolutely. And I think what they do is bait and switch. So they'll become, come across as very credible, uh, you know, very thoughtful. They'll galvanize a big following. And then suddenly they'll do something, as you described, just to make themselves look like, you know, a fool, a clown. And then by association, uh, it's hard all the causes they're associated with. And then the mainstream media has an ammunition to do a hit, uh, hit piece on them and say, you know, look at this terrible person, this scandal, this criminal, this thug. Um, and of course, then the rest of us are thrown under the bus with them. You know, these are your leaders, these are the people you support. Um, and this is why I actually say to people, you know, uh, when um, I, I have this conversation often with people, I say, well, you know, so what if they're controlled opposition? You know, at least they're doing something, uh, at least they're on their si our side. Why don't you go after the people who are, are really our enemies? And I say, well, actually, they're more dangerous and they're doing uh, more damage to our cause than our actual enemies for this reason because they're actually there to infiltrate and degrade our cause and to uh, lower our standing uh, with the media, with the public. So it's actually more important to expose them than it is someone like, for instance, Matt Hancock, who none of us trust and none of us would ever ally ourselves with. So I actually think um, knowing how to spot them and calling them out is, is very important. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's so obvious, you know, Matt Hancock, Rishi Sunak, Keir Starmer, whatever, all these people in the uni party are not on our side. And, you know, they, they're off with the World Economic Forum. They want to implement Agenda 2030. We know that. But it's the people that sound good and then mess up and then discredit us. You know, it, it, it really annoys me because, you know, you and I, you know, I know you're you're good and you, you do fantastic work. You you are in a in a political party for a while. Well, you know, we, we have some many political things in common. I'm running the Heritage Party. I'm really trying hard to write, you know, written the manifesto and trying to do something which will restore our nation and to be responsible and to be respectable. But then there's people come along and then they just do things that are irrespectable and uh ruin it for all of us just quickly before we end this session um what what are your thoughts about politics and getting involved in politics do you think it's worth it um to change things or uh, have you given up on politics directly uh, 
Uh, no, I haven't given up. Um, so I do think that local politics particularly is extremely important. And local politics is something that's kept a bit hidden from us in a way. Um, until 2020, I didn't know that there are local council elections that you can elect your own councillors and that you can stand in a council election. Most, uh, all of us, all I knew about until 2020 was, um, you know, Westminster Parliament, high profile uh, by-elections, general elections. And I think that's by design because the much less high profile council elections is actually um, very grassroots. Anyone can get involved. And I think we do have the capacity to make some changes at that level because, of course, councils are the instruments by which central government implements their, their plans. Uh, you know, Boris Johnson wasn't going uh, from town to town telling us all to wear masks or whatever. That that was our local councils pushing that. So um, I, I'm not uh, in a political party anymore, as, as you alluded to. I was in Freedom Alliance. Um, but what I did do last year was um, stand as an independent councillor for uh, my local ward. And I plan to yeah. do that again. So um, I would, what, what I would say to people is, is, is local grassroots independent politics, especially on the council level, it is worth getting involved at that level. I don't think it's rigged. I don't think they've kind of got the uh, manpower to rig it. If it is rigged, it's just by the way they rig it is by keeping us all in the dark about it, as I was in the dark until Absolutely. Look, I would definitely say that's a very important level to get involved in. We'll be standing candidates uh, in May. May the 2nd are the local elections in many places in England. So definitely I would recommend getting involved with that. Miri, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, that's all we got time for in this section. We're just going to have uh, a break now, but uh, we will be back in a second. Don't go away. This is today's News Talk TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Hey, did you happen to catch Chris Wallace over on CNN playing games? Now for another edition of Tell Me Why I'm Wrong. Tucker Carlson showed up in Moscow this week to interview Vladimir Putin. It turned out to be anything but an interview. Putin droned on for two hours and seven minutes while Tucker sat there like an eager puppy. Occasionally, but rarely, he got in a question. But apparently, that's not why Tucker went to Moscow. During the Cold War, gullible Westerners who spread Soviet propaganda were dismissed as useful idiots. But calling Tucker that is unfair to useful idiots. And then Wallace's panel continued just bashing Tucker for his interview and not even giving him credit for asking about the release of our imprisoned Wall Street Journal reporter. He was trying to get attention for himself and make himself relevant that I can score this interview. And the reason he scored this interview is because he's a lapdog. I'm surprised you didn't mention, though, the fact that he did ask some questions about Evan Gershkovich. Well, come Wall Street on. Journal, uh, he had to. Ah, the left just can't stand to see Tucker continue to succeed even without the Fox brand behind him. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malzberg. Catch my show 9 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, right here on TNT. I tell my son, I love you every single day. Now, my dad has never said that to me. Not because he doesn't love me, but because culturally it wasn't comfortable for him. Now that he's a grandfather, he says, I love you to my son every time he sees him. My advice to all the fathers out there, forget the cultural restrictions. They grow up way too fast for you to waste even a single precious moment. Discussing national and international issues. This is The David Curtin Show on today's News Talk TNT.
Welcome back to today's News Talk, TNT and the David Curtin Show. I am delighted to have with me in this section of the show, Terry Charles. I know Terry, I must confess, he is a member of the Heritage Party and he's also the coordinator for Suffolk uh, for the Heritage Party. Welcome to the show, Terry. Hi, David. Um, thanks ever so much for having me on the show. Um, it's quite an honour to be on um, on on your sort of like second week of the show, so fantastic. Uh, great to have you on, Terry. But you're really doing important work, actually, and in your area. And I, I know, you know, many people watching the show are very concerned about Agenda 2030 and how it's been implemented and how it's trying to change life beyond all recognition. In your local area, what do you see happening at a local council level, which is trying to change? Um, the physical and the the physical state of the neighbourhoods that you and the towns that you live in. Well, one of the one of the things that I I found um, since twenty twenty, um, I started to started to attend a lot of um, local council meetings because I was hearing a lot of discontent from from um, from people in the, in the, in the in in town. And so I started going to council meetings and it, it was concerning what was going on. And, and you know, councillors just going along with, with with what they're being told by the local councils, you know, and um, mm. that worried me. So I looked a little bit deeper into it and started having, having dialogue with councillors. And some of them actually came back to me and said, keep on, keep, keep doing what you're doing. You know, you're making a change, you know. And that, really that actually worries me, David, because when a councillor says to a member of the public, keep on doing what you're doing, you're making a change. Surely it should be the councillors doing this. Right. Yeah, right. Well, why, why are they relying on you to make a change when they're in the position, they're elected, and they should be doing the things that need to be done? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so I started sort of like um, looking into it a little bit deeper, you know, and I kind of the way I was looking look, looking at the way the councillors are working is that they're not actually working for the people; they're actually working for for the, for the council, if you like. And the council should be working for the people, but it seems to be sort of like um, the, the, the other way around from where I'm looking at it, you know. And um, so I started to sort of started talking to local local constituents when I was doing um, canvassing last year and in, in the May elections. I was speaking to to local local people, and they said, "I'm, I'm not going to bother voting because I'm so disillusioned by it all." You know, and this is the problem we've got at the moment: is people are voting, but they're they're looking at voting for either Conservative or Labour, and yeah. they do that because they don't want the other party to get in. So rather than looking for the party they want, they're looking to vote for the party they don't want. You know, which is a bit blinkered, really. You know. Yeah. If if, if I'm disillusioned by if I'm disillusioned by by, by Labour, um, why vote Conservative when we're two wings of the same bird? Well, I mean, this is almost like a psychological operation. What I was talking to to Miri about in the last section is that people vote negatively. They vote for somebody because they want to keep somebody worse out rather than voting for someone that they actually positively want to go in to the council who would represent them. But you stood yourself, didn't you, in the yeah, elections yeah. last May. How was that standing as a, as a candidate? 
I found it very eye-opening, if I'm honest with you. I found it very eye-opening. I had people from the other side of town that said, I would hand some of your flyers out. And and so they did. Now, now, now what, what, what concerned me was that people were saying, well, I don't know him. I don't know him, so I'm not going to vote for him because I don't know him. Mm. Well, how many people do they know in the Conservative or Labour <laughs> or if, even the Lib Dems? So they, they tend to vote for the party rather than the person, you know? Yeah. And so this is, this is one of the reasons why I, I joined the Heritage Party, because I, ever since I've known you, David, you've, always, you, you've stuck by everything you've said. Mm. You know, you've not, you've not backtracked. You know, every other party that I've looked at, they've all changed, they've all changed tact at some point in order to get yeah. the votes. And what the Heritage Party is standing for is for transparency and, 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 and integrity. You know, we've we've stuck yeah. by and we've not changed our, our views on on anything. Everything stayed the same. Even yeah, even, I, even, even at even at the risk of not getting the vote. Right. I think it's important. When I when I started here four years ago, I wrote the manifesto, I thought I'm just gonna put everything there, regardless of whether it's popular or not, because people deserve to see what we stand for and i'm just going to put everything out there you know e even if it's unpopular um and and because you know some people like it and they 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 want to vote for a party like us i mean i don't make any um i don't have any hesitation to say we're a socially conservative party and uh, we have christian principles even though we're not specifically christian party you know you, you can, we have muslims in the party hindus in the party whatever but um uh yeah but but also you know we're against this globalist agenda we're for freedom we're against agenda 2030 and the whole climate agenda and and all that's it, the the way that's being manifest in 15 minute cities and uh bike lanes and and the war on cars as well which i think everybody can understand i mean where you are in suffolk do you see restrictions coming in on using your car for example yes yes we're seeing it all the time we're, we're, we're getting we're getting we're getting roads that are being being sort of like closed off for no reason um this started around the COVID, the COVID pandemic. You know, the plant has been put in place. No, there was no consultation with, with, with the public, but it, these, these things were put in place. And, you know, when we talk about climate problems, what we've got, if you put planters down, what we used to call rat runs. Yeah. If you put planters there, what are you actually creating? You're actually creating more congestion because the traffic only has one route to go down. And, and so it's almost like they're trying to create this problem so they can, so they can sort of like solve the problem. Yeah, it, it, I, this is happening all over the place. I mean, you see pictures of the, these massive planters so a car can't drive down them. Yeah, in London boroughs, in Bath, in Exeter, in Oxford, in, in your place, in Suffolk. And uh, this is really dangerous, actually, because if a fire engine wants to get through, they can't. If an ambulance wants to get through, they can't. It seems like no one's actually thought about this. And, it, you know, they're making the cars go 
another two miles to get you know what might have taken them a hundred meters before but also ambulances and fire engines and tradesmen's vehicles business vehicles delivery vehicles carers who need to go and look after people if that's what they do they can't get through either and it, it's just an absolute disaster for ordinary people all over the place yeah yeah and, it, and it's it's ludicrous but, it, but the, the problem is that people seem to be sleepwalking into this because they're not aware of the agenda, you know, and yeah. last, last year, back in May, I actually put one of our agenda 20, stop agenda 2030 things in, in, in my, my, my lounge window. And mm. I actually had people knocking on the door and saying, I never knew anything about this. I've looked it up and it's really frightening, you know? So, and that's a scary thing, David, that people, People aren't even aware of these things. They're seeing things being implemented, but they're not realizing why. It's, it's something I, you know, it, it, it disturbs me because I know what's going on. You know what's going on. A lot of people who watch this show, they understand everything that's going on and where it's coming from. And, and we're trying to act against it. But you 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 look and you wonder sometimes, are 80 to 90% of the population do they have absolutely no idea of what's coming um you, you know and it's like like you say with your counselors uh, i often you know i i quite rightly bash labor tory lib dem green because they're all following this agenda even if they don't know um that they are doing it but if you had conversations with them you, you know you said you you speak to some of the counselors and they don't really even know what's going on if they don't know what's going on, but they're still implementing it, I wonder how does that work? Well, we actually, I mean, you, you touch on a point now, but, you know, I went to a council meeting in in, um, in West Suffolk um, last year and um, some colleagues gave some information to some of the councillors and one of the councillors came back and said, I've looked up what you've given me and it's frightening. Wow. And, and that, what's, what's more frightening is that the councillor wasn't even aware of it, you know, and we seem to put so much trust in these councillors, you know, and don't get me wrong, a lot of them are doing great things, you know, that making sure that people's houses are are, are correct and making this, don't start me on the potholes, you know. Yes, but, yeah. But, you know, they're doing a lot of stuff in the community, but I'm not actually looking at the the the, 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 the problems that are coming, you know, and that's, mm. that, that's one of the reasons why I got involved because I was seeing a lot of things going on which just didn't make sense, you know. And you know, I listened to your last yeah. your, your your last speaker, and what she said is right about people getting involved. You know, I got involved for the same reasons as you, um, you know, because I wanted to make a change. You know, not a change for me, but a change for the generations that follow. You know, a little bit of a backstory of me: I'm a youth mentor for thirty years. And I can see the way this world's going for a next generation. And that's why I don't I can't I can't let it go without challenging it. You know, yeah. and I don't want young people to say to me in 15 years' time, if I'm still around, um, to say, Terry, why didn't you do something? You know, so I'm doing the best I can with with, with the hand I've I've been given. Mm. But you know, when you look at what the councils are doing, the councillors are, you know. They're just the councillors are following the council and not listening to the people, and I think they need to remember who voted them in because the council didn't vote them in, the people did, 
And so if they're, it, they've got to represent the people. When you say they're following the council, I mean, wh what do you mean by that? Is it because the councillors, they should be the council. They are the council. I mean, do, do you mean by that they are taking direction from the civil servants who work? Yes. <coughs> Excuse me, for the council. They Because each one has a, a chief executive officer. And, yes. and they're on, you know, we discovered that many of these CEOs for councils are on extraordinary six-figure salaries, I and mean, sometimes mm. up to three or four hundred thousand pounds. But they're not elected. But they seem to assume that they're in charge, and they lord it over the councillors. Is that is that what you see happening? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll give you two examples. One one in West Suffolk, not so many months ago, and one just last month in in Fetford, where. Um, the, the, the public wasn't allowed to, to record what they were saying. It wasn't being recorded by the council. You know, this is in Fetford. Mm. And so the, the leader of the council said to everybody out. And so all the councillors wow. got up and walked out. And, this, and the same thing happened in, in, in West Suffolk last a couple of months back, where two guys was wanted to speak about something, but they were told they can't. And so the council, the, the, again, the leader of the council said, everybody out and so all the councils wow. got up and walked out you know and wow you know and that's the frightening thing that the councils are telling the council on the leader of the council the civil servants are telling the councillors what to do wow that i mean this is not how it should be because the the, the councillors are elected and they should have the power they shouldn't be told what to do by the people that they employ to put to work in the council. I know there is some kind of, you know, um, sort of firewall between the, the councillors and actually the the actual um, employment process. They don't generally sort of directly employ them. They'd have an HR department, but they would. They shouldn't be taking instructions from them. They should be actually the ones that decide um, what decisions are made. And then the people who work for them should be implementing it. That's that's absolutely appalling. But yeah, just, yeah. just we, before we, we don't have too much longer, we've got a couple of minutes, um, but I think you went up to Thetford and, and that is quite known, that's near, that's near you. I think that's in, in Norfolk, isn't it? But um, there, there is a, a huge amount of resistance and people, citizens are going in to the council and they actually are hundreds of them went to a meeting and uh, held the council to account and really had a go at some of the councillors about the plans to implement a 15-minute city there did you go along to that meeting and can you tell us about what's happening there and, and if it's I, been I, successful i didn't actually go to that meeting but um off the back of that meeting, I, I, I made contact with many of the people that was leading that leading that movement now, and I'm working closely with them, you know. And yeah. off the back of that, um, what I have formed or what we have formed in in Ipswich is a sovereign council, mm. and the sovereign council is 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 a, a group of people who are looking for looking for the support of the the public in order to hold the councils to account because one person can't do it but if you've got a good a large numbers of people who are prepared to hold the council to account then we can make change but again i've always said it needs numbers we need numbers of people to do that yeah you know absolutely we need them yeah 
We need numbers. It's really great. Sorry, sorry, Terry, we're coming to the end of the show, but that's really, really fantastic what you're doing in getting a group of people together to be a sovereign council, to go in and hold the council to account. But what I would also say, and I'm sure you would agree, is get involved as well and stand for the council so you can become the actual council and put in place policies which are going to be for the people and not against the people. Thank you so much for joining me, Terry, on today's News Talk TNT.